Previously on Nerd Punches Nerd. Ugh, magic? Got enough of any Indiana Jones. Or at least I got to shoot Hitler. Like, that's not exactly what happened. But, you know. <laughs> oh, I love that your, your John Connery voice sounds more like Scrooge McDuck than John Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because George R. R. Martin, um, I mean, he has a different perspective. George R. R. Martin, first of all, George R. R. Martin has spoken about how he's an Alan Moore fan, and he also one time actually when I was at um, um, it was really awesome this happened. I I, I got to see when I was unemployed and roaming around New York for a little while. Um, I I had the opportunity to uh to go to um a signing at the Barnes and Noble in Union Square. Uh, in Manhattan, um, for Dance with Dragons, and, and there was, and, and, and it was great because George R. R. Martin got to, got to speak, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he said that he, I think it was at this thing, maybe he said in an interview, that he felt that Alan Moore's view about how things are adapted was kind of naive. He says that, though, that he, since George R. R. Martin himself, he worked in television, he, he knew that what happened was, is that, is that you have to understand that people, that they get the rights to it. So that's why, you know, he really just trusted, uh, Dan, uh, you know, uh, David Benioff and Dan Weiss's vision of, of Game of Thrones. So that's why he was fine giving over the the, mm-hmm. the rights to it. But um, but well, it's it's, yeah, it's 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 a difficult but, thing. But 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 I mean, but I, I think I think it's kind of important. Also, what Alan Moore was saying. I I've said before, and you know, we've all discussed this before. I, I do think, for instance, Watchmen. Though I think it, it was a travesty in its own way. It wasn't the worst travesty, but it was a travesty um, in the strict sense of the word. There was a misrepresentation, but. Um, the thing is, I, we talked about this. I feel like at Darren Aronofsky, for instance, would he be able to get that intensity and that, that closeness, that claustrophobia that Watchmen has? I think that would have been effective. But I think it's important what Alan Moore, what Alan Moore and Grant Morrison say, which is that the comic book medium, you know, has a certain power to it and, and they really know how to utilize it. And that's where I think the comparison comes in. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've spoken before about, um, uh, understanding comics by Scott McCloud. Sequential uh, which, art, huh? The sequential art thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a sequential art, exactly. And you know, he talks in that book. It's a great book. Um, strongly recommend it for anyone who likes comics or wants to learn about comics. And he talks about like what makes comics a unique art form and what are the features of it that you know. And people just think of it like, oh, it's just like uh, it's like a book or a movie or you know, like pictures or something. But it's really not. It really has its own sort of pace and its own um, idiosyncrasies in terms of uh, in terms of storytelling, in terms of what's depicted and what's not depicted, and you know the space between the panels and all of that. Um, which both Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, obviously being very very prominent comic writers, are very aware of. And I think um, you know I try to to sort of highlight the fact that you know this is an art form, which it's not just like. You know, for people who are too stupid to read a book with words, right? <laughs> there's there's something to this which is different. Well, it's its own thing. We've talked yeah. about this before, but there is a certain aspect of manipulation of time yeah. that's only possible in the comic medium because yeah. you're using sets of photos or pictures in a certain way yeah. that you can't really do in any other type of thing because like, the problem with something like that in a movie is that you have sound and you can't 
for example, movement. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like if you're on a comic book page, you could have multiple like word balloons and keep track of what's happening. You can't do that in a film. It's it would be gibberish. You wouldn't be able to understand what was happening. So there are all sorts of things you can do with pictures that you can't really do with movement. But yes, and also as as a reader, you can read the same comic book differently at diff on different occasions. You know, I mean, a, a movie you watch and it's at the whatever the speed that the that the the director and the editor have chosen to pace it at. Um, you know, and a novel also is kind of the same way. Like it's pretty much the author determines the pace of the novel. But when you're reading a comic book, you can choose to, you know, you just let your eye naturally fall to wherever it falls on the page. You know, you can focus on the text and kind of skim through the images. You can kind of take it slowly and really focus on the on the images. And in particular, like I remember, for example, um, one of the one of the issues of Sin City um, by Frank Miller. And, we, you know, we could talk about Frank Miller also, but we're not going to talk about Frank Miller that much. Yeah. But one of the issues of, of Sin City is it's cool because it's a it's an entire issue with almost no dialogue or um you know or text at all it's almost entirely images and so you can read it as fast or as slowly as you want to and sort of it gives it's more interactive because the the reader sort of controls the pace yeah. in a way that is not possible with with other media good point though i will say this what and I think we should start talking about the specifics about the different works. Speaking of what you're saying, Sam, that's what's really great about Watchmen because Watchmen challenges the medium because those things that he has between the different issues. You know, he has the excerpts from the from like Night Owl's book, you know, and he has the comic within the comic, and he has these articles. Like he challenges this medium, you know, to make to make it this complete picture of like a world or at least this heat like this world that you're in that's kind of like our world our world but it's this alternate reality and um that's what makes it so genius you know and, and i think that's one of the real strengths with uh with alan moore that he kind of um that he he kind of really knows how to manipulate like what you're saying with frank miller um he kind of manipulate you know the the reader getting involved with it and really feeling like they have control over it and then he sort of rips the rug out from under you a number of times. Yeah. And that's what I think. I mean, he's, he's, he's a master, like a master of plot and of, and of characterization. I mean, I don't know. There are a few artists out there, writers out there who are the same sort of masters. I mean, like Gene Wolfe, for instance, is a master of that. You know, George R. R. Martin, not all the time, but pretty much is as well i mean there, we can name a, a number of people but alan moore is a master of that and i don't think grant morrison's as good at that grant morrison i think is really good at getting ideas across and feelings too um he yeah. sometimes has moments of, of character I think when he's when he knows he's constrained it's easier mm -hmm. for him to have like a very specific arc like with all-star right. superman yeah but even with new x-men like you said it was just sort of like Okay, he probably had this idea about something, and he's like, "I'll just make up an entirely new future." You know, it's all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, what yeah. happened with seven, with seven Soldiers too? Remember, Seven Soldiers—the first two or three were really cool because he has, he has those crazy ideas. If he's, I feel like he often he's better. Maybe I just prefer it better with what you're saying the, the constraints. Um, yeah, or like um, Arkham Asylum, yeah. for example. You know, because yeah. Arkham Asylum is just one concrete story you know it's it's he's very restricted in in what he's basically allowed to do 
And yeah. yet within that, he's extremely creative and he, exactly. you know, and it's, it's like amazing, but it doesn't, it doesn't allow him to indulge in that tendency he has to just go off the rails and, and just like completely <laughs> yeah. lose track of whatever the hell he's doing. And, and, I, you know, it just go in these like crazy directions that he has yeah. a tendency to do. I can yeah. say that sometimes, you know, Alan Moore has done that at times, for example, with Promethea, I know you guys haven't read the I ending. I read part of it, but... It, but I read, yeah, I read, I read probably, I would say, like, the first seven or eight issues of Prometheus. There, there's some interesting stuff there, but basically, like, in the end of, like, the last one, he basically turns into Prometheus talking to the reader, explaining about Alan Moore's views on a, on the very specific sort of Kabbalah that he believes in. Prometheus, well, you see, that's a good example of, a, like, I didn't really believe Grant Morrison when he was saying that Alan Moore copied him. And I don't, I, I, I have no proof, really, that Alan Moore copied him. But Promethea seemed like an example, one of the little bit I read, of Alan Moore really trying hard. Like, you could see him trying hard, and it was kind of uncomfortable because I really respect him. You know, obviously all artists have their own moments of, of weakness, so to speak. But I, I always saw with Promethea, it was kind of like, mm, like... Like, like he was really trying hard. What you were just saying, like he just kind of, he just kind of went off the rails in his own way. You know what I mean? Just like, like, like no sort of control over it. Things because Alan Moore can bring in that structure. He's like this, like master. Right. Well, look at top ten. That was phenomenal. That's the thing. Yeah, top ten is great. He can. I mean, honestly, and we've uh, at least Jeremy and I have talked about this. Like top ten and and smacks. I mean. You know, I, I, I have, let's say, like, stage name, you know, Benji Smacks, and there's a reason because Smacks might be my favorite, but Top Ten might, even even though I said that thing about, about how Watchmen, Beaver Vendetta really inspired me, Top Ten, th- those three Top Ten uh, ones are, are there's a fourth one that I didn't think was as good. The one that, Remember he, won, he wrote one that was, like, took place in the 40s or whatever? I didn't think that was yeah, as good. It's called, it's called it was, The 49ers. It's not, right, the 49ers. It's not as good. As, it's, it's, as the, the main yeah. top ten or smacks, right? But but those three ones, smacks in the first two top ten, are probably my favorite of Alan Moore's stuff completely, because he brought in this like humor, you know, he uh, to it. He had this great characterization; it was just really interesting and quirky. And it is. Um, it's funny. It's funny, yeah. and it's, it's actually like grounded. Which it's like a weird thing to say about top ten, because top ten is a comic in which. It's about a city in which every person in the city has superpowers, right. but but it is it's much more grounded than most of his other stuff. Well, it's really I, yeah. like in a, in a way, true, and again, this sounds like really weird, but it's like more down to earth. It is, it is no, no, it is. He also gets a chance to make all sorts of really insider jokes about you know comics. Of course, like I think my favorite of those was the thing about the super mice versus super cats. And it oh, suddenly turns yeah. into like it basically turns into an entire metaphor about crazy continuities and time travel and cosmic powers with yeah and all the again? like crisis events and stuff. Well, it, don't you remember? So in um, Dwayne's the the you know the guy with the big guns, his mom' house gets infected by super mice, like you know, and they all have like like there's a Batman mouse and a Superman mouse, etc. And <laughs> And basically, so then the the exterminator, exterminator, brings in a bunch of super cats, because these are you know they're super mouse, so they are you know you can't just hurt them easily necessarily because they all have superpowers. 
so right. you need to bring in cats. And then, and then it gets like it escalates until he's like, well, you know what happens when these uh, you know these different uh, you know super things start fighting. Eventually, Galact, you know, cosmic powers start getting involved, and then that's right. You had Galactus <laughs> and Cosmouse. And of course, all right, this is spoilers. This is spoilers for the top ten. But then the Cosmos erased it, the whole conflict from from existence. He turned back time, so they never had an infestation in the first place. So he said, so, so you know, the mother never moved out and everything, and the exterminator said, they keep doing this to me, they always take my money! I never get paid, because they always change time! Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that, I think that's really you're right. What Sam was saying about it being down to earth because that was one of the times that Alan Moore. I mean, Alan Moore's always been very serious, and he's got little moments of humor, but he's also been very serious. And I think that's the thing about Top Ten that like there were the, there were a bunch of moments where there there things were really funny. Like, yeah, just like even, funny human moments. Well, you yeah, but, but like but like really funny. Like like right. uh, there were a couple things. Like remember like the. <laughs> The the like lawyer was like that that shark, and his name was like Mister Fishman, Fishman. And, and like and like the guy was the other guy was making these like kind of like these like surreptitious like anti-Semitic comments. <laughs> like he wasn't talking about it being a fish; he was talking about it being Jewish. And it was like it was like really funny the way he did it. And then there was you know the the like the racist guy, the guy who was like racist against robots. And Smacks was hilarious. Like Smacks was really well, like you haven't read a lot of the America's Best Comic stuff, but actually right. there's some very funny things in there. Uh some of the stuff with Tom Strong and some of the other things there's some very funny things like there's like this is, I don't want to get into it, but there's some very funny stuff he has. So but it's interesting because although Alan Moore is capable of writing humorous things, it seems like Grant Morrison just is inherently more, you know, happy or optimistic, right, more right. flip. You know, Alan Moore is always, it's always like doom and gloom all the time. You know, oh, everything sucks. Comics mm -hmm. are going downhill. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that's true, that's true. Grant Morrison's well, a different... Alan Moore certainly seems more bitter in right. real life. Well, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, than, Grant, than Grant Morrison, like in interviews and stuff, he's always he's always angry about something. Or at the very least, he's very serious. Like that's 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 one thing. But like, Grant Morrison has never he's, had a failed. He's adaptation. grumpy. That's really the word for it, right? Alan Moore is a grumpy old man. Well, true, but think about what I said. Grant Morrison's never had a failed adaptation of his work. Uh, there have there haven't been any adaptations of his work, have no, there? No, we threw right. his option, but it was never made. Now, if you're talking about things that can't be, uh, you know, although adapted, you would get discuss. I mean, the fact is that, like, that would the be pretty hard. I mean, I mean, you know, we we can talk about how how there's all these failures of adaptations of Alan Moore works, but the truth is, Alan Moore did write the Killing Joke, and the Killing Joke was heavily influential on The Dark Knight. I wouldn't not. I wouldn't go so far as there to say that The Dark Knight. From there were lines from that. It's that not. I mean, it's, the Dark Knight is not an adaptation of the Killing Joke, but it is heavily influenced. And um, I don't think everyone, anyone, I, I haven't certainly haven't seen any discussion about like what does Alan Moore think of that, um, you know, one way or the other. Um, but I don't think it's fair to say that like everything that has been adapted from what he's written has always been bad. I mean, The Dark Knight is you know oh, one of the bad. maybe the best superhero movie ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. 
Um, yeah. I think, I, you know, what I always see it as, from the perspective of Alan Moore, is what I really see is mostly that he's very connected to his work. And he doesn't like, you know, but he's he really invested himself into it. And seeing it done in 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 a way that's either careless or not or not really close to his original intentions, that's a difficult thing to see. I, I think, and I think he's not alone in that. I I think that it just so happens that some of these movies have really been pushed as large movies with big ideas. And since he's put a lot of those big ideas in there, he gets really kind of up in arms about that. I mean, but I, I don't imagine. Know. Imagine if somebody tried to make the Invisibles into a movie. Well, that's what I was just saying. Well, right. If you're talking well, about something you know, that's going to be hard to adapt, I mean, that's going to be... The Invisibles is, I mean, the degree of difficulty is like 9.9. .9. Yeah, but let's be and honest, I think the filth is, would be harder. A lot of stuff would be really hard. Well, a lot, of stuff, would, a lot of stuff would be hard, has... but I'm saying, like, imagine if the Invisibles had already been made into a movie. Right. Like, like you the know, Matrix? there's a... There's a 99% chance. No, not like the Matrix. No, Matrix isn't at all like the Invisibles. That's I I mean I mean like actually the Invisibles. Right. Right? Like the that property mm -hmm. if that had been made into a movie. There's a 99% chance that the movie would have ended up being a disaster, would have, you know, ruined Grant Morris's art, art Grant Morrison's artistic vision, you know, and um he would have hated it and all his fans would have hated it and Benji you would have hated it. And yeah, you know, probably. and it would have <laughs> And he would have gone through the Alan Moore experience, but he hasn't been through that. You know, nobody has tried to adapt one of his works, you know, in a serious way, because either because his works are like a little bit too weird and just unconventional to even really try to to adapt them or just because it hasn't happened yet. Well, that's the interesting thing about um, about uh, what's it called? Uh, Alan Moore did say that, though. He said that he thinks that that they're not really translatable. I don't completely agree because I think in the right hands, that's why I brought up Darren Aronofsky. It's not the only one. But I do think in the right hands, someone could adapt it, adapt these things effectively, even if it's not, you know, for instance, I, I think we can all argue that, um, that Game of Thrones is an effective adaptation. Once again, George R. Martin has even said that his experience as a, as a screenwriter, as a television writer, did prepare him for uh, you know for, for it did help in his writing um and we also could all say that i we, i think the three of us still enjoy well, also, the books I mean, more the, but... the funny thing about that is that i mean george r, r. martin's he basically wrote song of ice and fire after he got out of television right. and part of what he was trying to do was it was like a reaction to some of the limitations that were placed on him as a television right, writer right, 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 um right. you know so he wanted to write this book that had like a million characters and all these complicated you know sprawling plot lines and stuff that really like wasn't realistically something that you could do on tv and then mm -hmm. years later somebody decided that they wanted to do it on tv and then they had to struggle with all of these things but like right, he knew right. going in that this was something that you know first of all he knew he knows what tv is like but also he knew that this is something that he wrote specifically to be hard to be put on television yeah but but that's not the issue with Watchmen. That's not the issue with V for Vendetta. The issue is not budget, really. Because though there are moments of Watchmen... Well, I mean, I don't think it's just budget, but yes, I agree with you. That's not No, that's no, no, not but, but, but you know what I mean. I mean, because Game of Thrones so would. your argument I mean, is that Watchmen would have been better as a TV show. 
Like a mini series. No. No, no, no. My argument is that I want Darren Aronofsky to do it. <laughs> um, we just want yeah, Darren Aronofsky to do everything. That's true. Whatever, We Sam. do want him to do everything. Right. No, no, no. One but, but, have but, done it, Iron Man 3, the latest Man of Steel movie, the Wolverine, <laughs> which he was supposed to do. Right. He was supposed to do Wolverine. Oh, uh, yeah. That was, su- that, was, that, was such a, that was such a boner kill. Listen, here's what I want Darren Aronofsky to do in order of importance. First, he needs to do top ten because it hasn't been adapted yet. Mm-hmm. Then he needs to do the the correct version of Watchmen. Then, after that, I say do whatever you want, really. But I'd like to see a Saved by the Bell adaptation <laughs> by Darren Aronofsky <laughs> because well, I I don't even know uh, what that would be, but I really want to see it. I want to uh, see the Zach Morris freezing thing viewed through the lens of Aronofsky. Uh, just the, the different, or or what's it called? What's it called? Jesse just taking those pills. <laughs> you know? oh and he has God, what he yes. calls a hip hop montage. Oh my God! Oh, oh. that would be awesome. That would All be right, fantastic. We, we gotta and stop Zach with the Aronofsky. Zack Snyder could adapt Lost Girls. No, nobody should adapt that. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Lost Girls? Because that's actually relevant. Because it's All right, Alan let's Moore. talk about Lost Girls. Because I, I've read Lost Girls and I you never get to talk it. about it with anyone yeah. because nobody else in the world has read it. I haven't read any of it. I tried. It is weird. Mm -hmm. It is. It's one of the. It's one of the strangest things I've ever read. Basically, the story behind it is apparently this is what I've heard. um, Alan Moore decided that there was not enough classy pornography in the world, and he decided to make his contribution. (laughs) So, and like that's all there is to it. There's nothing more to the story. It's just like. He wanted to write some classy porn. So that's what he did. And he wrote this book. It's called Lost Girls. It's about um, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and uh, Wendy from Peter Pan. And who's the other woman? Um, uh, Alice, right? Alice, is it? Yeah. 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 Yep. Also from I Alice in Wonderland. I think that's right. Alice, uh, right, from Alice in Wonderland. Um, you know, the three of them, they meet up in this hotel in like Austria or somewhere right before World War II or World War One. Uh, uh, getting. Maybe. I think it's right before World War One actually. Um, and they all meet up in this hotel and they all tell stories about their wild sex adventures. Um, and these stories are graphically animated because it's a graphic novel. And yeah, it's 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 kind of in a way it's like too weird to even really be erotic i i mean you know peter pan because the whole story of peter pan is that peter pan is this like street urchin and captain hook is like this hobo you know and like peter pan sneaks in you know wendy is like this this like posh girl um i it's it's so hard to even describe you know, um, that's what I hear. I gotta read it just because. You know, I've only really like, seen this one image where someone's girl, picking something like, out of know, the, the, the cowardly lion and the scarecrow, and these guys are all like just men on the farm that he, she has sex with. And Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember the Alice in Wonderland thing. Like she, I don't. The queen is like her boss or something like that. I, that's all. I, I really. It's really like it was. It's. It's not the kind of thing that's easy to remember because it's just weird. Um, but there's quite a lot of explicit sexual imagery, like pornography. You know, you're seeing people naked and having sex on the page. 
Um, you know, and because it's Alan Moore, it's not just conventional heterosexual sex. There's all kinds of, you know, um, either, you know, lesbian sex, gay sex, group sex, just all kinds of stuff. Cause like he doesn't, he doesn't want to limit himself. Um, well, yeah, there, there's a theme in Alan Moore's work and actually this, this eventually go to something with Grant Morrison. Yeah. In Alan Moore's work, it seems like almost, first of all, he almost always brings up sex, which is, which is fine. He almost always brings up the idea of pedophilia, actually. Like, um, like in, in each of his works, somehow, like in top 10, the, the bad guys were like pedophiles. He has that in Promethea. He has a little bit of it in V for Vendetta. He has in Watchmen with, uh, with, um, with, uh, Dr. Manhattan. Um, like, uh, uh, Doctor, because you know, like he's he's dating like that. You know, he's dating whoever. Uh, what was her name? The Silk Specter or whatever. Um, Lori. Was she the Silk Specter? Yeah. Oh, she, she was younger. Right. And then, then he has that in Lost Girls, and that's like a theme. And I and I and and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think he looks at it like that he's trying to like push the boundaries of sort of sexuality things like that. And that's like a theme that he goes for. Um. And I think I, I think it's interesting because um, Lost Girls is kind of an example, also you could say, of him, of the way Grant Morrison goes off the tracks in his own way. Like so, so Alan Moore doesn't really go off the tracks in terms of psychedelic stuff necessarily, but he goes off the tracks sometimes in terms of actually often like sexual stuff. But he goes off the tracks in terms of like like um, like just like ideas. You know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, yes. Lost Girls is, as far as I'm aware, the most self-indulgent thing that Alan Moore has ever done. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's an idea that he came up with that he wanted to do. He did it, I think, together with his wife or something like that. Yep, Melinda Gebby. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just sort of like a pet project for him. And like I said, it was just like he wanted to do porn. So he did porn. <laughs> like, um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know that, that, I mean, I don't, I'm not as familiar with Grant Morrison's work, but I don't know that Grant Morrison has ever had the opportunity to just do something like completely self-indulgent like that. Well, he does, like, he does, he does in a different way. He does more with like the really out there, like cerebral psychedelic stuff. That's how he becomes self-indulgent. Like it happened. It's happened in a number of his but it, works. It bleeds like, into all of his works. But I'm saying I don't know if if he has any projects where like it like from the start it was just like this is purely indulgent. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You should read Kid. You should read Kid Eternity. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember um, if I read that one. Yeah, and That's and also 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 the l later volumes of Invisibles. Um, he just gets like out of control. You're like, what the. Fuck? fuck is he talking about <laughs> i don't think i've read kid eternity i did i mean i did read um all of the invisibles of course right so well what is kid eternity about i don't remember but it, there's something about like this kid i think falls into some other dimension of course and he's fighting for the, the forces of chaos against the forces of order you know it's kind of a typical grant morrison thing in a lot of ways but it's all sorts of crazy with time and he sort of like falls into you know these time lapse things. Also, think of the end of uh, Seven Soldiers. It just got out of right. control. So I mean, like I guess you're right, Sam. That getting really indulgent is is kind of like, um, like uh, 
you know what I mean? Like, like getting, getting indulgent, like, like, I guess that specific work was Alamore getting indulgent, but I think with Grant Morrison, he, um, like he gets indulgent in a different way. It's not as like sexual. I think I, I, you know, let me, I mean? let I, me I ask feel- you this. Cause you're, you're yeah. more familiar with Grant Morrison's work than I am. What do you think is his, um, most focused work you know the one that that's least susceptible to that tendency that he has to just go off in random directions and do crazy x-men stuff. x-men new x-men really I, and it's weird it's weird because that was the first one i ever really because i've i've read new x-men and at the end of that he does kind of get crazy. well actually i, I guess I'm i guess you're right we three maybe Superman. oh huh? we three, we, we three. yeah we it's three so he keeps he keeps kind of down to earth yeah, I, I guess mean, that's true. We three does. Okay, okay. In terms of like his his big projects, I would say X Men, just because he has to stay in that sort of framework. Um, I I I, th- I think that's part of it. He does go off the rails a little bit. Well, you but... haven't read All Star Superman. No, I think that one is a little bit more focused than X Men. No, X-Men... I I would like to though. I'm I'm definitely interested in All Star Superman. Until like the very end, I think X Men is very well arced it just it just takes a crazy leap at the end yeah I, I like the leap but i think it's it's definitely a leap i mean if we're talking about animal man the uh spoilers spoilers are really kind of nuts uh you know don't don't tell ben I've, yeah I've, I've read animal man i yeah, ben, ben, yeah. never finished what benji really i know i know i know and you being a huge grant morrison fan i know oh, that's one of his most famous works yeah, yeah. Especially it was it was, it was the just spoilers, you know. It was it was it was after about. it was after I got over my my real Grant Morrison phase, <laughs> you know. But um, I I know actually I did read a little bit of it. Like it's I'm I'm not I'm not totally removed from it, but I just didn't get as far. Well, you read the Coyote Gospel, right? Yeah, and that was pretty great, right? That was pretty cool. That is that's probably the the single best bit in Animal Man. Is the, the the coyote gospel? It's pretty awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, we can't even talk about the meaning of that because Benji hasn't read the whole thing. Okay, okay, but still, like, that's kind of like the the genius of him. Like he he's well, kind of he's kind of yeah. he's so good with that meta stuff at times. Like he can he really I don't know any other author just in general who's able to go into that realm where it's kind of like this this like the the meta realm. Like Alan Moore doesn't in his own way. Let me ask you something else about about uh, Grant Morrison. 